You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. But hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Maybe last week we met for the first time and uh, you got to hear me speak about Samson and little sneak preview. We're going to continue speaking about Samson. Um, That was not the goal. And uh, I I wanted, I like to just like do one-off messages here and there because that's what I'm used to doing. I'm not used to writing for multiple weeks in a row. I'm used to writing for one week at a time. And um, I made the mistake is last week we talked about the end of Samson's life, but so I was like, how am I going to, how am I supposed to write a message around that? So now we're just going to talk about Samson's life. So, you know, last week we talked about his death. Now we're going to talk about his life. We're just going back in time. Um, and uh, so last week we talked about what do we do when we fail in our faith? What do we do when we, when we make a mistake? And, and our three points were we ignore the negative people, the thoughts, the circumstances. Um, we don't live in the failure. We turn back to God. And today we're going to look at some of Samson's smaller failures, some of Samson's things that he did throughout his life where he just missed the mark and he ran uh, in the wrong direction. How many of you guys, uh, before I jump in, does everyone have a dog? A lot of people have dogs in here. Got dog. I have a dog, and he is, um, he, the, the nice way to say it is different. Um, I should have known there was something wrong, so I named my dog Carson because I'm an Eagles fan, and then Carson Wentz ended up being a terrible quarterback and got sent to Indianapolis, and uh, I'm still upset about it, and um, I should have known something. Carson is not a smart dog. Oh, that, yeah, he's not smart. Um, he, he, he's an interesting, interesting dog. He is afraid of everybody and everything. Um, he's grown onto a few things, like he used to hate the vacuum, now he'll be in the room while we vacuum. Um, what he does love is treats me, um, my mom, and my wife. And he's starting to warm up to some people until they try to pet him, and then he runs away. But he, I should have known there was something wrong with Carson when his whole, the rest of his litter was going for $2,000, and he was going for 600 And I was like, yo, this is a bargain. Dave Ramsey would be so happy of me right now. Like, Carson is, he's going to be great. He's going to be a great dog. And he was good for a little bit. And then he just started acting weird. Um, I love him. He's a miniature golden doodle. So one of the biggest issues, he won't let us brush him because he's afraid of being brushed. So I constantly have to just shave him bald like every three months because he just turns, it it feels like you're petting like a cotton ball. Like literally, it's like, Oh, gosh. And now with a baby, he throws food off of his high chair, and Carson sits under the high chair. And I'm, like, constantly picking rice and bananas and everything out of Carson's hair. And he just he gets shaved down, and he hates the razor. He hates everything. So it's a mess. But one of the things Carson does love is the cats in our yard. Like, we live in downtown Milton, so there's, like, 12 more cats than there is people in the whole town. There's just feral cats everywhere. Every time I walk out, they're like, on my front porch, just staring at me. I'm like, what do you want? They look at me. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go back in. Don't mess with me. I'll come out later. Um, they're just everywhere. But every time he sees a cat, he goes after it. He, like, tries to go after it. And I don't know what he's going to do when he gets there because he's not, like, aggressive at all. He'd get there, get his butt whooped, and come back with his tail between his legs. But he always wants to chase after him. And that, that is, like, Carson, he, he's a good dog. He listens, but I'm afraid if I let him out without a leash and he sees a cat, he'll chase after it. 
and he has no self-defense skills. Like, once he's gone, he's gone. He's afraid. Like, no one's going to be able to rescue him because he's afraid of people. So they're not going to be able to trick him in with a treat or anything like that. He's just going to keep running farther and farther away. And if you have a dog, there's nothing, no worse feeling in the world than when your dog runs away. Like, it's like this, this sinking gut feeling, and you're like, what do I do now? Like, you know you're not supposed to chase them, but it's the only thing you can do, like, because you don't want them to get so far that you don't know where they're at. So, like, you're just full speed, like, sprinting after them, even though, like, they tell you that that makes it worse. Like, I remember my neighbors growing up, they would have me dog sit, and they had a dog who was as skittish as Carson is now, and something startled dog, and she took off and ran out and ran into a cornfield. And I was just like, my dad was like, don't chase the dog. I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, I need to know where this dog is going. So I'm chasing after this dog. And there was nothing worse in the world than thinking that you lost your dog or your neighbor's dog at that. Um, I was like, man, I'm like 13. I'm like, you still think they're going to give me the 100 bucks for the week? <laughs> my dad's like, no, not at all. I'm like, I don't even know if they like this dog. Like, you still think that they might pay me for getting rid of it, right? My dad's like, stop. But what, so my, my, I always look at Carson. I'm like, what are you going to do when you get that what are you going to do when you, when you get that bird or that rabbit or anything like that? Like, you don't, you, the only thing you like is just, like, treats. You don't even eat your food. Like, what are you, you're not going to get it because it's going to whoop on you. Even the rabbit would beat you up. And I look at him like, do you understand, does he, and I look at him and I'm like, do I, does he understand what would happen if he got away? Does he understand what would happen if, because what he's doing is he's abandoning his nice, cushy life where I let him sleep on the bed even though I hate it and I feed him treats and I cuddle with him at night. Like he's going to be leave, leaving a perfect, nice life. The worst part of his life is when Levi, my one-year-old, walks around with his bottle trying to hit him on the butt. Like that's, that's the worst part of his life and it's maybe for an hour at night. But does Carson understand, my dog understand what happened, what's happening? when he chases after this simple instinct, this indulgence to chase after this cat or this rabbit or something. And I look at it, and I look at, he's just chasing after this urge or this instinct. He's convinced himself that he wants that thing. And then I look at Carson, and I realize there's at times that I'm no different. That there's things that I see in my life that I just want to chase after. Things that might take me out of my faith, things that might, that might draw me away from God. And I, and I look at this silly, goofy, fluffy dog, and I was like, man, I am no different than this dog. That we are no different, that people chase after things in the same exact way, that I'll do whatever I have to do. I said last week, I will do whatever I have to do to accomplish my goals sometimes. And that, that is very True, to hit a milestone, to meet an accomplishment, I'll chase after things. I think it's not just a dog thing, it's a human thing. I think it is a living thing. And for humans, we chase after a lot of things. Even in, as Christians, you know, in life we'll chase after things that are contrary to our faith. But even as Christians, sometimes we take our eyes off of Jesus and we chase after different things in our faith. I can remember for a lot of my Christian life, I was chasing after a feeling. Like, do you remember that time where you first came, you, you, you first experienced Jesus, and you just felt warm and tingly and emotional, and you're like, man, this is what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus. This is what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you, you think that's what it's like to follow Jesus. If I'm, not, if I'm not following, if I'm not feeling this way, then I'm obviously not following Jesus. And we chase after these mountaintop experiences. Is that summer camp or a worship night or a conference or, or one of these things? We, we, we are people who like to chase after things. But what happens when we chase after things 
that aren't in our faith? What are, what, what are the things that we, that we chase after? And I look at Samson's story, and Samson is chasing after things in his life. For the, Samson's biggest thing that he goes after is he, Samson, I said last week, Samson loves foreign women. He is constantly seeing, marrying. They, that's his weakness. He loves to chase after women. I, I read it, and I think he's like a 16-year-old boy. And as we read it more, we'll see that his attitude is kind of an attitude of an entitled kid at times. But Samson's story is Israel's story because Samson is chasing after things that are contrary to where he's been called. He's chasing after foreign women. He's chasing after the, these people he's not supposed to be with. And Israel is constantly chasing after foreign gods. And I think Samson's story is Israel's story, and Israel's story is the human condition. It's, it's our story. That as humans, we chase after things that we want. That we chase after things that are foreign gods and, and, and idols and all these things. And originally what I wanted to talk about was, what are you chasing? That's the question I wanted to ask. What are you chasing? But I had this moment, and I felt like, it, like God was saying, like, Everyone in that room knows what they're chasing after. Everyone in that room knows what they're chasing after. And, and I just, we all have these false gods and these idols in our lives. And, and if we're honest, we know that they're there and they're contrary to our faith. And some of them just briefly are status. Like you want to be perceived a certain way. You want to be the good boss, the person that people want to work for. We, we live with this life with this kind of like, this mask on, not like the paper mask, but like a, a, a facade that we want to pretend to be somebody else. We want status. Or for some of us, it's materialism. Like we just want more and more and more stuff because if we have more stuff, it means we're worth more, that we have more things. For some of us, it's just money, that we have more money, we feel safer. Others, it's celebrity. We just you want people to want to be you. You want people to idolize you. You want people to to love you and to admire you. And others, I mean, for me, honestly, one of the things that I had to get rid of the social media on my phone, the only thing that's on my phone right now is to manage the church's social media because I realized that I got uh, an endorphin hit anytime somebody hit a like on a picture. And I, or I just realized that I'm sitting there with my kid and he's playing and he's doing these cute things and I'm just scrolling through Instagram, seeing who's validating me, seeing who, you know, I'm looking at him like, who am I doing better than? Who's doing better than me? all these things, and we have all these different idols in our lives, and these are just overarching ideas that we could really break down. But I don't want to ask the question, what are you chasing? I wanted to ask you the question, why are you chasing it? What is the reason that you're chasing after these, what I'm going to call false idols, these, these, these false gods, these idols in your lives? Why, like, we know what we're chasing after, but what, but why are you chasing it? What is your goal in it? What is your, your hope? For me, when I'm, I, uh, I've grown up desperately, for some reason, I've grown up desperately thinking that I was unlikable. I don't know why. I got picked on, I do know, I got picked on a lot when I was younger. I was the chubby kid. I was just talking about this earlier. I wish that, like, somebody, that God would have made me mute at the time. Like, I went from being chubby. I hit puberty, and I became, like, the athletic kid, and I thought I was the coolest thing on the block. Like, I was bigger and faster, stronger than everybody else. And I just wish, like, God would have, because at that point, I, was, I just said things and did things that were just very teenage boy. Um, 
But for me, I just desperately wanted to be liked my entire life. So when I'm on my phone and that, and that phone becomes a false god, that phone becomes my idol, I'm constantly just looking for validation from people. So what am I chasing? I'm chasing validation. And I know deep down in my heart that I'm more loved and liked and validated in Christ than I could ever be by any person on this earth. But sometimes that just, we know it in our heads, but we don't know it in our hearts. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What, not what are you chasing, why are you chasing after it? And I think the first point, if you're taking notes, the first thing I think why you're chasing it is because I want it. Like, why are you chasing after something? Because you want it. Look, there's no better salesman to get you to do something than you. Like, I, you can ask my wife. I don't need commercials. I don't need, like, ads on the Internet. I don't need anything. I will convince myself that I need something no matter what it is, period. Like, I, so, and one of my issues is I have an, I would say I have a very obsessive personality. So when I'm into something, I'm into something. I'm, a, I'm very layered. You ask me, you could talk about something. I've probably been into it. I probably know a little bit about it. Um, yeah. So one of my, my layers, here's my most recent layers. I grew up hunting with my dad. I didn't hunt for 10 years. And then during COVID, I was like, I have nothing to do, so I'm going to hunt. And I just became obsessed. Like, that's all my brain could think about. And now it's fly fishing. I bought two fly fishing rods, and I've never been. Like, like I, I don't even, I tried one time. I casted it once. I'm like, this sucks. I hate it. I never want to do it again. And then three months later, I bought another fly fishing rod. I'm like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to travel to Montana, all these things. Like, I have an obsessive personality, and nobody needs, there's, I don't need an ad. I don't need somebody to tell me how great it is for me to buy another fly fishing rod. If anyone does in here, you all can help me learn, you know, help, help your pastor out. Help me learn. Because because I'm just going to keep buying it until I figure it out. But um, I have an obsessive personality. And so when I convince myself that I want something, I want it. And no one's going to stop me from getting it. Just me, or is that everybody else in this room as well? But what happens when it's not fly fishing and it's something that's contrary to my faith? What if it's, an exp- I, I want to go and I want to party, or I want this, or I want that, or, or all these things. And if we look at Samson... I think we can kind of see this attitude in Samson as well. Samson, why are you chasing after these things? Well, because I want it. So if we go in uh, Judges 14, 1 um, through 3, it says this. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go for the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. I don't know any other time in history that that worked for a marriage. Um, that's who I want. Go get her. Bring her back. Like, no, it's not. It's, this, isn't, this isn't McDonald's dollar menu. This is a human being. And, and you can hear it in Samson's voice, in his, in his attitude when you're reading it. And he says, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And we know that later that, that God set this up for him to have a foothold in the Philistines. But I want to look at Samson's attitude in this moment. Samson says, I want it, so I'm going to get it. And we know that, that 
If you go through the Old Testament, the, the, the Israelite people were not supposed to intermarry with people outside of the Israelite people. So Samson is taking, Samson has made this vow to God that he's going to live as a Nazarene. He's not going to eat anything that's unclean. He's not going to drink wine or fermented drink. And either he's not going to touch anything that's unclean. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to cut his hair. And then he takes, he sees this woman and he wants her and he's going to do whatever he has to do. I imagine him throwing a hissy fit when he says, like, get her for me. This is who I want. Now go get it. I imagine my 15-month-old throwing a hissy fit and throwing his milk on the ground when I turn Blue's Clues off. I look at his attitude, and this isn't the attitude that we have at times in our lives as well. I want it, so I'm going to get it. Now go get it for me. Do whatever you have to do to make it happen. Do what you have to do so I can have this thing that I want. Like I said, I, there's no better salesman in my life than me. If I want something, I will eventually convince myself that I cannot live without it. That, that I can't do the thing I want to do without it. Like. I mentioned last week that I was really into working out, and I felt really self-conscious about that afterwards, and I went to the gym three days this week, and I can, like, I can't sit down. Like, it's done. Like, everything hurts. There's, if I get down, they're going to have to just pick up the chair and put me up here and sit on it for the, for the 11 o'clock. But when I was in college, I would be so obsessed that I would think that I would only be good at working out if I had this certain type of shoes or these certain knee sleeves or... These, my college roommate would say, like, look good, lift good. So I was like, well, and then I need the most expensive workout clothes. Like, we need to go to Lululemon right now because if I don't look good, I'm not going to lift good. I'm not going to be strong. And I can convince myself that I, that I need these things, and I think you can too. And if we look at Samson, he's saying, I want her, go get her for me. What he's really saying is, I don't care what God has said to the Israelite people. I want what I want. I don't care what God has to say about this. I want what I want. What happens when we go after the things that are contrary to our faith? What we're saying is, God, I know what you said is wrong, but I want it. It's just going to be one time. Let me indulge myself this time. Let me, let me do it this time. Let me go there this time. What we're saying is, God, I don't care what you had to say. I know better. I know me. I know what I want. God, I know what you've called me to. God, I know you called me to, to, to not steal. God, I just need a little bit more money, so I'm going to fudge the documents at work. God, I know what you, you told me not to gossip, but this thing that I heard is just too juicy to keep to myself. I want to share it. I want to talk about it. I know you established a standard of living, and, but God, I, I don't want to abide by that. I want to indulge in what I want right now. I want it. Church, I, I've been there, and I know we all have. We just, we just want it. And what happens after we've convinced ourselves that we want it? We convince ourselves that we deserve it. So if you're taking notes, the second point is, I deserve it. Like, I've worked so hard. Don't I just deserve to go out one night to the bar and drink way too much and just forget about it all? God, don't, God, I've worked so hard. I, don't I deserve to buy that new car or that boat or that TV? Or, and just, I, I won't tithe this week, but I'll get back into it next week. God, so let me, let me spend this money now. Like, God, don't, don't I deserve it? And we can see this in, in Samson's attitude in Judges. We're back in Judges 14, 8 through 9, and it says this. 
Sometimes later, this is after he goes and tells his parents he wants this Philistine woman. So sometime later, when he went back down to marry her, he turned aside to look at a lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. I alluded to this last week that he goes down and a lion comes up and it says he rips the lion apart like they do um, a lamb. He, he, he's killed this lion and he's gone back down and he sees that there's, there's honey in this lion. So he scoops out the honey with his hands and he ate it. And he went along. When he rejoiced with his parents, he gave them some. They too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Part of Samson's life and his vow as a Nazarite was to not eat or touch anything that was unclean. So the fact that he goes and he scoops his honey out of the carcass of a dead lion is breaking that vow. That he goes and he scoops it out. And if you notice, it says he does not tell his parents where it came from. Again, he just reminds me of like a teenage kid. Like I remember all the sneaky things I did. Like, where did you get that shirt? I'm not going to tell you where I got it from. Like, I had to trade that birthday present that you got me, you know? I thought the shirt was cooler. Or I had to do something that you told me not to do. Or to, Samson breaks part of his vow. And he doesn't tell him because he knows his parents aren't going to confront him on it. On the same way they confronted him on the Philistine woman. Is there not someone uh, amongst your relatives or amongst our people? So he doesn't tell them about it. He goes and he, he does something that God commands him not to do because he believes that he, he killed the lion. He's hungry. He deserves the fruit of what he's done. He goes and he scoops it out. He doesn't tell his parents. He says, because he knows that it was wrong. When we start chasing things, what happens? We convince ourselves that we deserve things. Like, I've been working so hard, man. I've been in the gym. I've been working hard. I deserve a new set of lifting shoes. I deserve a new belt. I deserve some new knee sleeves. I deserve, uh, I don't know, a headband. Or I would never wear a headband. But um, I deserve X, Y, and Z. And I don't care what it means to the people around me. I deserve it. I want it. I'm going to get it. Because I've worked so hard. I've worked so hard for this family. I know they want to, want to go on vacation, but I want a new car. So I'm going to go get the new car. Because I've worked so hard, I'm, I'm going to skirt off all my responsibilities to the people that I love and the people who count on me, and I'm going to get the thing that I've convinced myself I want and then in return convince myself that I deserve. Because it's what I want, and I want it now. I can work. I've been working so hard, I can just compromise a little bit at work. I've been working so hard. I've been so good. I've, I've been... I haven't drank in years, but God, I'm just going to go out with my friends and I'm going to have one drink. I deserve it. I've been so good. Or maybe in the world of remote living, in remote work, you think you do, we, we, we convince ourselves that we deserve to take a day off, but what we're going to do is we're going to open the laptop and we're going to open the program that we're supposed to be in so that it looks like we're working. But we just sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. Like, they're never going to know. I deserve a day off. I've been working so hard. They don't know what it's like to, to work from home with two kids and a dog that barks non, uh, start, this nonstop barking. Like, they don't know what it's like. I, I deserve this day off, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get it. When we want something, we start to convince ourselves that we start to convince ourselves that we deserve it. 
And what happens is we walk outside the guardrails and the commitments of our lives. Maybe it's with God or maybe it's with our family. But what we do is when we, when we've, ugh, man, when we convince ourselves that we want something, we start to abandon the people around us so we can get what we want. So if we want something, we convince ourselves that we deserve it. And after we convince ourselves that we deserve it, we convince ourselves that we can handle it. God, it's not going to be that big of a deal that, that I can handle it. That I can handle it. And in Judges 14, 10, it says this. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary to young men. You're probably thinking, what's that have to do with thinking that Samson can handle it? The word in the Hebrew for feast um, doesn't mean just food, that they're sitting around, you know, eating a big Thanksgiving dinner. It means a party or an occasion for drinking. And we know that Samson's vow is to never drink uh, anything that's fermented or wine. And I think it's fair to make the assumption that Samson has compromised his vow to God up until this point. So why wouldn't he compromise it now? And when I read it as it's customary for young men. God, if everybody else can handle it, so can I. If everybody else can do it, then so can I. If everybody else can indulge and, and they seem all right and their lives haven't hit rock bottom yet, God, I can handle it, so can I. It's just a few drinks, God. He said he threw this feast as customary for young men. So then we know that through Samson's life, he's going to do one of everything that he's not supposed to do. Like as an Israelite, he is not supposed to marry outside the Israelites. As a Nazarene, he's not supposed to eat anything that is unclean. He's not supposed to drink fermented drink or wine. And, and it looks like he's doing it here. He's throwing a rager. And then we know that later he gets his hair cut. He does all the things that are contrary to his life under the guise of he wants it, he deserves it, and he can handle it. What, but in our lives, how many times we've, we've made decisions and we, can, we convince ourselves that we can handle it? Like, I'm going to go out. It's a few drinks. It's one night. And then everything falls apart. I, I can handle it. What if, what if there's much more bigger blowout in your life from that, that one night than you just thought of going out and having a good time with your friends? What if you, you've convinced yourself that you want a new car or a new TV or a new house, and you said, I want it, I deserve it, and then you get to the point where you think you can handle it, but now you have that car payment, now you have that mortgage payment, now you have an empty bank account because you've indulged in something that you want. What happens when you've convinced yourself that you want something that is outside of what God has for you and you're so far away from God because you convince yourself that you can handle it, that you don't know how to turn around and you don't know how to come back? Because as humans, we love to chase after things. We love to go after things that we can't have. What happens when we convince ourselves we want it, we convince ourselves that we deserve it, and we convince ourselves that we can handle it? And what happens is, is that we do all those things, and then you have to look back and ask yourself, how is this glorifying Christ? If you're following Jesus and you're chasing after things 
you're chasing after people or you're chasing after an experience or you're chasing after one night through or the, the, night that we, the night that I won't remember, all these different things. How are you glorifying Christ? Because we look at Samson's life, we look at all his compromises he's made in his vow to God. And a lot of people in the Bible, we look at their lives, and their lives are defined by the faith they had in God. And I would say that Samson's life is defined by his compromise in his faith to God. That Samson spends his life, his entire life, compromising his walk with God, compromising his vow with God. And I want to ask you this question. Do you want your life to be defined by your compromise or your faith? Or by how you lived and glorified Christ? When you look back and and your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids ask about your life, do you want to tell them about all the ways that you wish you would have lived for Christ? Or all the ways that Christ used you to build his kingdom? Do you want to be defined by your compromise and chasing after the things you want? Or are you want to be defined by how God has called you and pushed you forward in his life? Because I look at this, and I, and I look at this life of, Samson's life of compromise, and I, and I can relate to it. And I think we all can. We get in these situations in life, and we convince ourselves that we need something, that we want something that is outside the realms and the guardrails of what God has called us to. And we fall short. And I look at John 14, 6, and it says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I am the way. And when I look at my life and I look at Samson's life, what Samson said, God, I will live the life that you've called me to, but I want to do it my way. I want to do it God plus me. God plus my plans. God plus my desires. God plus my wants. And when I look at my life at times, I say, Jesus, I'm all in, but I want to add a few things. Jesus, I'm all in, but I want to add this, and I want to add that. I want to do this. I want to do that. God, it's your way plus a little bit of Josh's way. And Jesus says, no, I am the way. You can't add anything or take away from it because it's just Jesus. Jesus has called us to something. And adding all these things and chasing after all these things and, and, and indulging and, and chasing after desires and convincing ourselves that we can handle something won't make us happier and won't make us more fulfilled. Only Jesus can do that. And I think that's the lie that happens. That sometimes we convince ourselves that we want something, but other times the enemy convinces us that we want it as well. Like I look at the story in the garden of Adam and Eve I look at Eve, and I don't know if she ever wanted the fruit until the enemy convinced her that it was really great. It was pointed out to her, look, look what you're missing out on. Look, like, God is hiding stuff from you. God is holding back from you. Look at all these things that you could experience if you just took a bite of the apple or the mango or the pomegranate or whatever it was. We don't know. The fruit. Look what you could have. How, many, how true is is that for us, that every once in a while there's a little voice that the enemy starts to speak lies and convinces you that, hey, you see all the things that your friends are doing? See all the things that your family's doing? 
See what you're missing out on. God just, God is just a killjoy, and he's trying to keep you from having fun and enjoying life. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And when the enemy doesn't do that, and we convince ourselves of it, why do, we, why do we convince ourselves of it? Because I believe that the human condition is inherently selfish. That the human condition is inherently, like, barring Jesus and, and barring everything else, the only person I'm concerned about and was concerned about was me. Like, we, we are inherently selfish, broken, sinful people, and that's not a knock at you or a knock at me. That's, that's a knock at humanity because that's who we are apart from Jesus and in our flesh and in our sin. In Philippians 2, so how, how do we com, com, combat that? In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of, the inter- but each of you to the interests of others. See, as we, as we chase after these things in our lives, as we go after this stuff, we have to acknowledge that inherently, at times, we are only worried about ourselves. And what does the Scripture say to combat that? It says, do nothing in selfish ambition. And I love the part, um, value others above yourselves. And when I read that, I tell myself to, to value others the way that Christ valued me to value others the way that Christ values them, that that Christ would give everything for them, that Christ didn't pursue his own desires, but he pursued the desires of the Father for us to be reunited with him in a relationship through him, that Jesus came to this earth and lived a sinless life so that we could be washed clean, so that we can be made righteous in the eyes of the Father. That barring all our mistakes, all the, the times we, we jump the guardrails and chase after the things we want, every time that we're convinced that we need something or want something or, or we act selfishly, that, that God loved you anyway. So how do we combat this human nature of, of being selfish and chasing after the things that aren't of God? We have to remind ourselves of the way that God saw us first, that he loved you and that he wanted you, and that you gain freedom from your sin, death, and shame when you were undeserving of it. That he didn't come to be served, but to serve. So what do we do when we're convinced that we want something? What do we do when we start chasing after something? I think what we have to do is just put our eyes back on Jesus. Because what happens is, we're indulging ourselves, but I think what happens is we've convinced ourselves that there's a better way than Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Thank you that you didn't leave us to ourselves, but God, you gave us an opportunity in Christ Jesus that we can be free. God, and I pray that our eyes would only be on you. God, that you remove any distractions and desires and wants in our lives. God, that we wouldn't be chasing after the things of this world, but we'd be chasing after the things of your kingdom. So, Father, I ask you this morning to equip us to do your work. Give us eyes to love your people. Let us see them the way that you see them. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. 
God, let us love the people in our lives that we think are unlovable. That's my prayer for this week, God, is that, God, the people that, that annoy us, that get on our nerves, that, that drive us crazy, God, I pray that you would just create such a soft spot in our hearts for them, that we would just be full of compassion for them so that we can see them not with our earthly eyes, but with yours. Father, we praise you and we love you, and we do this all in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, amen.